Welcome! This is the Hassan Sorrells Audio Experience. My name is Hassan Sorrells. Look, we are trying something different. So I want you to join us on the Hassan Sorrells Presents Audio Experience for interviews, for rants, for raves, for thoughts, for process. And you'll get a knee-deep, hip-deep, and ear-deep view inside of what I do. Look, if you like what you're listening to, please like me, please rank me, Stitcher, iTunes, Overcast, Google Play Music, everywhere where you get your groove on, I want you to give me a few stars. All right, now, let's head into the experience. And we're on. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. (laughs) (laughs) We are experiencing minor technical difficulties. With portions of this program. (laughs) Could you please stand by? (laughs) Remain in your seats at all times. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be exciting. So this is as I as I said repeatedly, this is the podcast where we just talk to people because you know that's just the best thing to do. So no one knows who you are or what you do. So why don't we start off with that? Who are you and what do you do? Well, hey Sam, thank you for having me. Um, pleasure to be on your podcast to just talk about what we're all going through, what how we're doing it, why we're doing it. Uh, my name's Noah Pusey. I'm the president and CEO of Ripple Analytics. You can check out our website at www.ripplefeedback.com. I am an unabashedly uh, recovering attorney. I practice law in New York. I still practice a little bit. I practiced law for uh, 18 years before co-founding Ripple in October of 2014. I am one of seven kids. I grew up on a small farm in Vermont, southern Vermont, where my parents still live. I had the pleasure of going to Boston College undergrad. I love Boston, great city. Uh, And then I went to Brooklyn Law School for, um, for law school. And I have two kids. I currently live in Huntington, New York, which is on the North Shore. It is blazing hot right now. It's only going to get hotter for the next few days. I know, I know you're in Texas, so it's a little hotter there. But you know, it's a little yeah. different here. Yeah, it's, it's a, a little, little different. We're, we're, um, we're in apocalyptic hot. That's yeah. where we're at. <laughs> I drove across the country in 1993, and driving through Arizona in, in the middle of June it was 122 degrees, oh, yeah. and the locals would love to say it's a dry heat. And I never quite understood that because, you know, an oven is 350 degrees. It's dry heat, but that does, doesn't mean you're not melting. It's it's brutally hot. So um, I know it's a little bit more humid where you are, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's 15 percent humidity. I mean, you know, that's that's dry enough. Yep. That's so dry, what we that's dry conditions. So what we do in the Northeast is we complain in January and February about, um, you know, 28 degrees, sleet, snow, ice, and then we complain in July when we have 90 degree weather and. And it's, you know, the sun's out and there's blue sky. So, you know, we've got, we're, we're happy about three months of the year. Well, I, I mean, guys from Boston, you're, you're, none of you are ever happy. Yeah, the like, Northeast, you know. Well, come on, you've won, you've won, you've won, you've won, uh, you've won sports championships in the last, like, decade and a half, almost mm-hmm. two decades. So everybody just shut up and be happy, but you can't, you, no. you can't, you can't, the Northeast, be down. can't be happy. Um, yeah, so so in 2014, I co-founded Ripple with a um, good friend of mine, Derek Hedges. Uh, we 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 formed Ripple because we wanted to um, change at least one key process within organizational health. Not to get too heavy, um, but you know, Derek was um, SVP of strategy at a Fortune 500 company. Uh, I was a practicing lawyer, had my own law practice, and we. We, we, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer and, and he wanted to leave something um, in terms of like a legacy to, to the business world. He got his MBA from Michigan, smart guy. And so we started spitballing. And one of the things we found was tr- just consistently 
on everyone's hate list was this concept of the annual review, not concept, the actual annual review. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, I am a, uh, a Gen Xer and I went through them, I received them and I gave them over my first 15, 16 years of professional practice. And it resonated with both Derek and I did. Yeah, the process stinks. I'd say another word, but yeah. And it's, and it's for nothing other than compliance saying that you did it. So what we decided to do was create a platform where we could help organizations, managers, owners really make better decisions throughout the year, not just on an annual 15, 20 minute discussion, but have micro reviews throughout the year, 10, 12, 15, however many are warranted. And the fundamental concept of Ripple is driving engagement, getting feedback, using survey analytics so that you can give feedback to your colleagues. They can give it back to you. Your manager gives you feedback. You give your manager feedback. It's it's not the traditional hierarchy approach where the manager um, reviews his or her direct reports and then they you know kind of limp out of the conference room because as we all know, the annual review isn't the annual positive review. It's the annual <laughs> review and, and it's in the rear view mirror. So that's a yep. problem because you look yep. at the last 12 months and if I tell you you're a rock star, you're gonna you're, you're gonna probably say, well, you should pay me like a rock star. So right. as a manager, I have to ding down your expectations. I have to mute your expectations about that conversation. And if everyone was honest, the annual review compensation anyway is tied to your P and L, your financial health. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2005 we were crushing it. Everyone got great reviews. In 2008, when the crap we were real estate attorneys, 2008 wasn't so great. Mm-hmm. Now, did I say? You guys all read the newspaper. You always watch the news. I mean, you know what's going on. I, I shouldn't have to explain that that our growth is down. So that's going to be reflected in your compensation. No, I would say you don't work hard enough and you got to come in on the weekends. And I would blame the employee versus the economic realities of the day. So we just really want to give a more of an objective approach to assessing, developing and managing people. Um, you know, there's a lot of words thrown around for employees. Uh, human capital, talent, employees, what we all are, uh, are human, human my beings. Brothers, yeah, workers, yeah, laborers. <laughs> yeah, there's there's 15 definitions for an employee. But what we are deep down is our human beings. So yeah. what Ripple does is we track the psychological health of um, the way your people are interacting with each other. And it's uh, it's science-based. It's, it's based on the big five um, psychology. Uh, and we worked with Dr. Frank Shipper, who's an IO psychologist, and um, we love it. And we have some really good, dynamic, great clients. And um, we're looking to just kind of spread the word and, and really stress the importance of engagement. I know we've spoken about it a few times, but mm-hmm. American companies spend billions on protecting against corporate theft. Yep. So you don't leave with a box of pens. You don't leave with a ream of paper. You don't leave with a laptop, right? Extreme example, someone steals a printer, a laptop, whatever. American companies lose $16 billion to corporate theft a year. So the Institute, they, they, they create these security measures. American companies lose 350 to $500 billion to disengage uh, employees. So, you know, I'm a big fan of stats to drive things home. That's not even close. And the amount of time, effort, money uh, organizations spend on avoiding corporate uh, theft versus driving engagement, it's not even, I mean, it's, it's laughable. Well, and this is even pre-COVID. I mean, mm. and there's, you know, and there's so much here to unpack. So let's start with, uh, let's start with 
So you're probably on the mid end of Gen X. I'm on the bottom end of Gen X. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be like 43 in September. So I'm on the bottom end of Gen X. Um, not a millennial. Thank you. Don't tag me with that. Yes. Please. <laughs> God, <laughs> dear God in heaven, please. And I'm not knocking millennials. All our millennial listeners, just everybody breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Um, I just play younger on TV. Uh, I, 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 I had my, I have given my fair share of performance feedback uh, to folks. Um, I mean, when I led teams and all that kind of stuff, you know, I had to write out those feedback forms. And you're right. Like, you're making stuff up. Yeah, you're making stuff up. And I'm not saying that the traditional 360 can't be a useful tool. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, and I, I think that this is also what Noah's saying, is that the motives aren't aligned. The organization's motives aren't aligned. The employee's motives aren't aligned. And the manager's motives aren't aligned. And you got all this misalignment everywhere happening. And it sounds like what Ripple does is it gives you science-backed data to, to, to lock in this alignment and make sure that people are going in the direction. Well, not people, but make sure your entire team and your organization and your culture are going in the direction that they, they need to go in. Now, you said the term organizational health. This is now the second time literally today I've heard that term mm. after like I must be walking around in a fog or I must be reading the wrong things. <laughs> but I had not heard of that term and now I've heard it two times today. Yeah. Um, so walk me through a little bit and for the people who, who listen uh, and are watching – what is organizational health? What does that actually mean? Sure. So it, it means different things to different generations, first of all. And, and almost every business concept, every um, title of every process is geared toward whatever generation is implementing, right? So there's four major um, generational workforce components, the boomers, um, the Gen Xers, the millennials, and the Gen Zers. The Gen Ys are 10, 12 years old right now. We won't have to worry about them for another five, six, seven years. So when you talk about organizational health in 1980, it was almost organizational health equals PNL. Whatever your profit was, if you're 12%, 18% year over year growth, you have great organizational health. Yep. Well, in 2022, we know that the boomer approach, while somewhat effective in 1980, is not effective in 2022, 2020, 2018. I think you raised the point earlier, you know, the the problems of misalignment with the annual review predate COVID. I mean, oh, it's yeah. not, you know, now, now engagement, the importance of engagement post COVID, we can talk about that for another hour or two. But yeah. so when I, when I talk about organizational health, I talk about the entirety of the organization. Who's, who's sticking around retention, not just were we profitable last year, but did we lose five people off that team that we shouldn't have lost? Mm -hmm. And more times than not, as I, I hate even quoting the stat, but 80, percent of people quit their managers, right? Everyone, you know, Gallup loves to tell us that every year. So if you're quitting your managers, then there's an organizational disconnect when it comes to the wellness or the approach of managers and their direct reports. And that can be blamed on a whole host of things, not the least of which is incorrect assessment when you're promoting managers. So if you're at the company XYZ for 10 years and I'm at the company XYZ for five years, and the president's going to promote someone in sales. He's going to come to you and say, hey, you know, you, you've been here longer. You know, do you want it? And by the way, politically, you have to say yes. Because right. if you say no, I love being on the street. I'm a salesperson. I, I, I love, you know, uh, meeting my people, talking to them. And, and you know, but, but Noah seems to have the skill set where he'd be a great manager. Right. Wouldn't it be great if that discussion you had with the president, you could have, but you can't have it. You can't have that. Yeah. And that generational, the generational workforce is part of that issue. 
because the the older Gen Xers, the younger baby boomers, they learned 35 years ago from people that said, if you don't want a bigger car, you don't want you know a bigger uh, expense uh, account, you don't want a $20,000 salary increase because no, I like doing what I'm doing. And right. you can also reward me for being honest and being transparent about how I see my role in the company and that's organizational health. There's a whole, there's, there's, you know, do the owners, leaders, uh, executives appreciate the changing times. And, you know, you just have to, re- Jamie Dimon's the easiest example, right? So he comes out and says, I want everyone back in the seats. Cause that's how, you know, basically God intended, you know, corporate <laughs> America to have people in their chairs. Oh, okay. But <clears throat> You're taking your limo from your penthouse in the Upper West Side down to your Midtown office three times a, a week. Meanwhile, you're telling everybody that that hour and a half, two hour commute on the Long Island Railroad is what you have to do or else you're going to have to find a new job. Well, the 25 to 40 year olds, 45 year olds even are saying, OK, we'll find a new job. And that's right. and, and again, organizational health. Really, you could also kind of phrase it as organizational connectivity in terms of how how your executives, leaders are interacting with managers and and their direct reports. How, <clears throat> okay, and I th- and, and again, you said a bunch of stuff there, so let me go to the <laughs> core of it. No, no, this is good. Yeah. Um, you said a bunch of stuff there, but let me go to the core of it. So at the core of it is this generational shift that's happening in the workplace. And you're seeing this post-COVID with, and, and a lot of, and I, I point this out repeatedly, not on this podcast, but on the other one that we do, but I'll, I'll point it out on this one too. <laughs> um, this is something that started pre-COVID and was in drips and drabs. And I noticed it, and you probably noticed it starting back in, you know, 2000, what was it, 14, 2015? You know, you were noticing it. I was noticing it in 2013 when I quit my job and started this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this has been coming for a while. And I would stand in rooms doing the other half of what um, Ripple is, uh, is engaged with, which is that leadership development part. That's the other half of this because you can have all the analytics about feedback and all of the data and all that stuff all day long. But if you don't have the guts to lead, if you don't have the guts and the courage to implement any of the things that you're finding out, any of the insights, I don't care about big data. Don't yep. show me your big data. You can have big data and be a total dud. And I'm not going to make the analogy there, but I <laughs> want you to think intimacy. <laughs> you can have all the data in the world and be a dud. And so you need leadership. You need the courage and clarity and candor of leadership to actually implement from the insights that you're getting from this data. But we are in a midst of a shift right now where the the infrastructure from the industrial revolution and i mean the emotional psychological social cultural infrastructure mm-hmm. not the actual buildings those will be around for a while but the the immaterial structure is going like this and jamie can hear it may i call you jamie i'm gonna call yeah, you jamie sure. jamie can hear it <laughs> jamie can hear it and ray dalio can hear it and stanley mccrystal can hear it oh. and all these guys selling books can hear it they can hear the, the 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 rubble collapsing. Will there be some things that will be the same with the millennials and the Gen Zers? Absolutely, for sure, because some things don't change. Mm-hmm. But like, management didn't come from God. <laughs> it's it's not a tree. <laughs> it's a television. And eventually, at a certain point, it stops working. I, I remember saying years ago, we made the organizations that we have. Human beings can unmake them. 
and you can make something else and something new. And I think that that's what that that's what's at the core of what you're doing um, with uh, with Ripple Analytics. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you raised a bunch of points. I I just did this a lot. Nod your head. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, yeah. if you're doing anything for the purpose of just doing it, meaning you're collecting data feedback and you're crunching it, and then you don't do anything with the data, it's actually it's it's actually more negative on yeah. the organizational health of your company than if you don't do it at all, which yeah. which is bad because I, I went through the 350 to 500 billion dollars of uh, disengaged employees cost your companies, but you know to kind of front as a leader that says, oh yeah, I'm dynamic, I'm um, emotionally intelligent, right? You hear all those phrases thrown around because I see the importance of, of engagement. I see the importance of feedback. And then I get all this data, mm-hmm. thousands of data points for my hundreds of employees over the course of a 12 month period. And I don't do anything with it. Yeah, right, right. So your people are like, okay, cool. Noah gets it. Hassan gets it. Like he's, he's, he's forward thinking. And I'm a, I'm a, a 33 year old millennial. Right. You know what? I think my company's different now. I like it. And then six months go by. And then nine months go by. And then you're up for your compensation discussion. So you go meet with your manager. And, and I don't know, maybe you're a total rebel and you ask your manager, what's whatever happened to Ripple? We, we were, you know, filling out those surveys. And I was giving anonymous feedback to my coworkers. I was getting feedback. I saw some of the areas that I really excel in, some of these personality traits that really fit my job title. What are we what are we doing to, you know, further the goal of gathering the feedback? Where's where's leadership? Where's enlightened leadership? You know, you you love these catchphrases, right? Because I love these catchphrases. Like, so I, I attended a <laughs> webinar last last week for 50 minutes on enlightened leadership. Guess what? Now I can, now I know those five points of an enlightened leader. I can hold <clears> myself <throat> as an enlightened. That's that's you know, it's not true. No, it's not. So <laughs> what do you do with it? And I think you're right from a from a um, from an organizational approach to the changing nature of, honestly, the generational workforce. I mean, millennials and Gen Zers, boomers know that feedback's out there and that people are you know, clamoring about gathering it. And I think I'm gonna have to use it to make some decisions. Our, my generation, our generation, mm-hmm. Gen, Gen X, we know that feedback's important. We know oh, yeah. that it, you know, we, we have the ROIs, we have engaged employees are 81% less to call in absent. Right. Engaged yep. employees are 23% more productive. Yeah. I'm sorry, more profitable. More profitable. 18% yep. more productive. So we know the ROI. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And then the millennials and the Gen Zers, they need it. They expect feedback. And so if you don't give it to them and you don't use it and show them that you're uh, adopting solutions based on that feedback, it doesn't mean you turn your organization upside down, but you have to have some, some usage of the feedback and, and, there's three different general reactions to the feedback Ripple gives uh, a leader. Mm-hmm. Excitement, because you succeeded. They've got a great culture. They've got strong, self-aware employees, and the data feeds that up, feeds, uh, backs that up. Total disappointment, because they thought it was going to be an exercise to just validate how great their company is. Meanwhile, no one likes their managers. No one respects leadership, and, and it's really a shock. And then somewhere in the middle, and, and the, somewhere in the middle is generally where uh, organizations fall. Where they have some outliers, you have 100 employees. You know, Ripple's going to confirm that you have 70, 80, you know, employees who you think you have. Because if, if Ripple confirms that you don't know anything about your company, then you know that's where you come in. Because we yeah. we Ripple is an MRI machine. We are not right. we are not the doctors. We don't yeah. we don't you know set the broken leg. We tell you that you have a broken leg. I have a broken leg, and you yeah. need and you need bigger help uh, <laughs> that we can um, that we can refer you to. 
So, um, in that shift, in that shift, you said Gen Xers know they need they need the data, um, and I also think there's a couple of other dynamics happening, which I would add on to that. They know that we we know we know we need the data, and we it's been a real it's. <laughs> It's been a real work struggle to overcome those boomers. Like millennials don't understand. It's been a real struggle to just get a little bit of like out of that out of the of the claw of that dragon. <laughs> I fought for six months to get casual Fridays at the at the firm I managed back in the the late two thousand nine two thousand right. Well, and, six and now, months. <laughs> well, and we're battling against, and I say this in a lot of other places, and and I I think I've said it here a couple of times, but again, it, it's one of those things that bears repeating. We have an entire generation. Actually, now we have two generations getting ready to have three floating around in the world that believe that human behavior should change at the speed of a tweet. Yep. And it just doesn't work that way. And and so when you tell them that, they get really irritable and they shut down or they overcompensate in the other direction. Um, and so that's a challenge that millennials and Gen Zers and the generation coming up behind them will have to overcome. But, but think about that statement. Is... Think about that statement, right? They they want things to happen in the time of a tweet. Oh yeah. But but why do we expect anything other than that as as leaders of organizations that you know sixty percent of your employees are millennials and Gen Z? Because I mean, ego totally. is hard to move. Totally. <laughs> That's why. One hundred percent. Well, it's always been done that the traditional way. I hate that expression. Well, right. Traditionally, we approach it this way. What what does that mean? Or 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 even more or even deeper than that. And this is a little bit of that individual leadership psychology piece. Even deeper than that, the leader sits back and looks at the data and goes. Oh yeah, this is cool. Seventy percent. I can ride the lightning on that. Right. Or which they which they don't think of the opposite. They don't go, or they well, or they do think of the opposite and they go, oh that thirty percent. Oh my god. And they get the palpitations. Oh my god, I gotta go chase the thirty yep. percent. So they either overcommit to chasing the minority and they reverse their Pareto principle, where they put eighty percent of their energy on yep. the thirty percent yep. that, quite frankly, may not matter. They may not matter. And as rough as that is to say, they may Engagement not matter. Engagement in companies averages less than 40%. Right. 40% of employees are engaged. So if you have it 70, take it. Take, take it. it. Take the team out to dinner. Celebrate it. Yeah. And help. Twice take, the average. Take 100% of the team out, and maybe those 30% of people will at least get a good they'll meal. Buy a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they'll buy yeah, in. And maybe, you know, if, if, if you look at the stats and you have 60% of employees are either actively disengaged or disengaged. And if the data from Ripple shows you have 70% engagement, participation, I mean, the act, the act of actually completing the surveys right. is engagement. Even if you right. don't, even if you go and, and just, you know, don't give any truthful, genuine responses. If you're participating, that means you're engaged on a certain level. Exactly. And I can tell you the companies that have bad data or disappointing data because I just go to the participation rates. Yeah. So you're the owner of this company and you told them, hey, we, we're, we're implementing Ripple. It's once a month. You fill out these five question surveys. Um, you know, do it, do it during office hours. We don't need you to do it at home. Just, you know, it's, it's a work function. And then at the six month level, I'm talking with you and you're like, well, so how are we doing? I'm like, you're doing bad. He goes, oh, well, what kind of data? Are you? I, didn't, I didn't look at the data. Well, what do you mean? You have 32% participation rate. So the data is irrelevant. So you're, only irrelevant you're only getting it from 30 percent of right. your people. So 70 percent of your people aren't giving you data, even though you told them you have to participate. The sample size isn't large enough. Yeah. Well, and also, like, what else are you telling your people they got to do that they're not doing? Because right. I mean, Ripple, Ripple, the surveys take 16 seconds uh, on average to complete. So if you have five, six people on your team, 
You're talking about two minutes a month. Yeah. So there's a reason your people aren't participating. And it's there's, easy. Yeah. You get a link. You go right into your first open survey. They don't want to do it because, one, they probably don't trust that it's anonymous. They think mm-hmm. Big Brother can get at whatever answer I gave you on I trust I trust Julie, right? And I've mm-hmm. worked with her for five years, and I give her a one. This happened, actually, in one of our pilots. Um, this guy gave this, 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 his colleague a one. Everyone trusts Julie, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the data, we collected 2,800 data points over a six-month pilot, mm-hmm. and Julie was a 4.7. We're a one to five liker, one never, five always. And, I mean, Julie was a rock star, but there was one one. And the way, our, the way our dashboard works, you can see how many ones you got, how many twos you got, how many threes, fours, and fives. So there was one little sliver. One person gave her a one to the question, I trust Julie. You would have thought the world was collapsing. I was telling Julie, I said, Julie, he may have you know, slipped with his mouse. Not even he, because I wouldn't say he. I said, the person completing the survey, it may just be human error. Don't worry about it. You have, you have uh, 900 data points that say everyone thinks you're a rock star. Why are you concentrating on this one? Well, it bothered her. And yeah. so I found out who it was, this guy, Frank. And I texted Frank. I, I emailed Frank saying, hey, uh, I'm the president of Ripple. You guys have been using our, our platform, gather data. Would you mind if we had a quick call? He goes, sure, whenever, whatever works for you. So I called him. I said, Frank, I got a question for you. And he goes, yeah. I said, you, you've completed, I think, like 60 surveys for your various people on your team. And you haven't given anyone below a four. So in fairness, this is a um, special needs um, organization, non-for-profit up in Vermont. So it's, you know, special people work for those organizations. Right. So you're, oh, yeah. I, the fact that the score, the, the average score, I think was like a 4.4 was not a surprise yeah. because, you know, you, you, you respect everyone you work with. You, you take my, my sister has cerebral palsy and, and okay. to see how her aides work with her. It's a oh, testament yeah. to those people. So, oh, yeah, said, you need a high level of emotional engagement just to even sign up to do that job. So yeah. I said, Frank, can I ask you a question? And then we can go. He goes, sure. I said, well, did you put never for I trust Julie because you, you didn't, you thought maybe the president of this organization could find out that it's Frank? And was it just a test? And he, he laughs. He goes, yep. <laughs> so, you know, when you react to data on a one single data point, you're missing, you're missing the, the boat. You, you have to look at it cumulatively over time and then adopt a process to, to as, as you mentioned earlier, to utilize the data in creating better workplace environments. And, and again, not to beat a dead horse, but now in terms of the workplace environment and interacting with your colleagues, I don't know if there's been a more important time in history where you need to show your people that you care about that component and that you understand the importance of it. And not just the ROI, 81% less absenteeism and 23% more profitability and all that kind of stuff, because that's, that's what leaders do to decide that they want to drive engagement, right? The ROI is, the, the biggest ROI is showing your people that this is important, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and can you quantify that? Hopefully over time you can, because instead of having 16, 18% attrition, you have nine or seven. Well, and I think, and this is why, you know, uh, and full disclosure, you know, HSCT Publishing works with, um, works with Ripple. Uh, we partner with Ripple, um, and we'll be partnering with them on future projects. That's not the reason I'm talking to Noah today, but I mean, that's, we, I mean, we do for full disclosure, you know, we partner with them, um, on clients and projects. Um, but I also think that we're onto something here 
and I think the I think the the curve it's beyond just a generational curve. Although I do think that's a, that's a, those are gigantic elements of it. So it's the generational curve. It's the workforce uh, recreation curve that we're all on. If it, to, to use that term, rejiggering, such as it were, <clears throat> or readjusting. Um, it's also the specific historical moment that we're in right now. And I'm not just talking about COVID. I mean, the specific yep. historical moment of the industrial revolution ending and us transitioning into something else. Um, so we're in all these different curve points. And I think that ripple and, um, and other analytics, uh, organizations that are forward thinking and are moving ahead, partnering with leadership development organizations that are forward thinking and moving ahead, um, and consultants and, and other folks in the space are creating an entrepreneurial basis for the nimble, and, and I'll use the, the popular term, agile <laughs> development of organizations um, that can actually be, and I'm going to use a Nicholas Nassim Taleb term here, which you may or may not be familiar with, but they can actually be anti-fragile. Mm. Um, you know, and so uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, the guy who wrote Anti-Fragile and Skin in the Game and, and notoriously enough Black Swan. Yep. You know, this idea that Organizations, and I think about this with the baby boomers, organizations that are robust are actually a lie because if you're too stiff, you can't move, right? Plane crashes into your building. I mean, you're on the East Coast. I was on the East Coast yep. 20 years ago. Plane yep. crashes into the building, you're done, yep. you know? Um, or, and, and honestly, that's a form of fragility, even though you think you're robust. So you're actually deluded. You're actually fragile. And then you've got fragile organizations that are just too small and are just gossamer, right? You just pull them apart and they just go away in the wind, right? I'm thinking of the two or three person startup. I'm thinking of the solopreneur that can't scale. Just, you know, what what, what traditionally VCs call lifestyle businesses. That's on the other end of the scale. Uh, people who don't develop processes and they just sort of grind it out for 20 years and they don't have a brand or, or whatever. Yep. Okay. And then you have this vast majority of businesses in the middle, organizations, I shouldn't say not businesses, organizations in the middle from, in multiple verticals, by the way, Nonprofits, manufacturing, healthcare—I don't care what vertical you're in. Tech doesn't matter because I want, I want our, I want well, I don't want our listeners <laughs> to hear this because if you are running a manufacturing company, you need Ripple. <laughs> um, if you are running a healthcare organization, you need Ripple. If you are running an engineering firm with four people, you need Ripple. If you are running an eyeglass creation factory, and by the way, I worked in one of those way back in the day, <laughs> you need Ripple so your eyeglass factory doesn't go bankrupt. Um, you know, if you're making T-shirts and you're distributing them across the country and you're also making a podcast and you've got more than two people with you, you need Ripple. And the reason why you need it is because of this arc that we're in of all of these dynamics happening uh, happening together. And what the data does is it contextualizes all of this stuff for you and gives you an actual solid data point that you can talk about and that you can pinpoint. So when you call a guy like me and I go, oh, okay, so what's your performance measurement matrix? Or what are your KPIs? Or what are your OKRs? You can actually answer that question with a reasonable level of understanding versus kind of going, and this is typically the answer, uh, uh, what? We yeah. haven't measured that. Yeah, and mean, what you don't measure doesn't happen, to paraphrase from the old school engineers. What you don't measure doesn't happen. So, yeah, you got to get up on it. You got to get up after it in these transitional times. Yeah, and I mean, at, at the heart of any successful organization is leadership appreciation for 
controlled disruption at various yeah. points. You know, you know the 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 fragility that you mentioned is a real thing, and and being comfortable with the status quo when you worked at a company. I mean, listen, our our parents, the parents of our friends, worked in a generation that you got a job at 24, 25 if you were a professional. Oh, you, you retired at 65, 70, <sighs> and that was it. I mean, you, you would stay for 35, 40 years. My, my grandfather was a, an accountant at Ernst & Young. And it's like, that's what he did. And, and that, he, he didn't jump around. And, and when you have market conditions the way they exist right now, and, and I agree that there were a lot of these conditions that existed pre-COVID and COVID just kind of... Um, Port accelerated everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gasoline. Yeah. And um, I think when you have that different appreciation for, you know, there's no loyalty. Boomers will say there's no loyalty with the with the younger workforce, but is there loyalty to changing and adapting with your leadership role for those same 28, 29, 32, 35 year old employees? And and I would argue that a lot of organizations miss the boat on that because even if when even if they use a tool like Ripple, right, a platform that allows you to gather, crunch, manage, develop your employees, if you don't use it, if you don't have professionals helping you use it, helping you harness the information you're gathering. So that you can make objective decisions, you know, finding out you know, what um, skill sets, what positive attributes a certain person has, and then honing in on those. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm naturally conscientious, if I'm naturally committed, and I don't have high degrees of curiosity, right? Well, then chances are you're not promoting me in the marketing department because curiosity right. is a personality trait that's very important. And if I don't have naturally high curiosity marks, then you should find another role for me. But if I do have strong skill sets and personality traits, you know, adapt roles, find roles within an organization that that sort of focus on those things instead of setting people up to fail. And 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 I really think yeah. that's that's a key component to you know using data, using using data to make objective decisions. You know, unintentional bias in the workplace is, is a real thing, and it mm -hmm. and it's unintentional. So it's not. You know, it's not active. It's not, you know, I, I want to go into this re uh, review with my employees and, and, and I'm going to penalize them for not liking the same sports teams as me, not having children, um, children, the same soccer team, being outdoorsy. Any of the things that I like outside of my organizational life should be irrelevant if I'm talking to my people in the conference room about what they're doing. But it's not because that's how human beings react. Okay. So you opened a little bit of a door there. Yeah. So I'm going to. Gonna, I'm going to follow you through there. Post-COVID. And this was, again, one of those things that started pre-COVID. Are we in post-COVID, by the yeah, way? What's your, what's your official position on that? Uh, my official position on that is uh, COVID is going to keep going on for another 10 years. And so everybody buckle up. <laughs> That's my official position. <laughs> my, the, the worst word I've ever learned, and I knew it before uh, 27 months ago, but I, I hear it all the time now, is variant. I hate, oh, hate yeah, that variant. word, variant. variant. You know, I mean, just what is like, ah! well, and and the, <laughs> I, I was reading a thing the other day, and now we've got very, and I shouldn't, I'm not joking. I want to be very clear. Anybody who I'm got COVID, either. this is yep. terrible. Um, you know, if you want to get the 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 shot, don't get the shot. That's up to you. That's between you and your doctor. I have yep. no opinion on that. This podcast takes no position on any of that. You do whatever you want to do. <laughs> no, not no. Nor does Ripple. Nor does Noah. Yeah. Of course, we have our own opinions. We're thinking human beings. But yep. do what you want. It's between you and your doctor. And by the way, don't advertise it on social media. Yes, it's not a. It's Agreed. not a signal. It's not a virtue signal. 
you're not better or worse. Yep. Just stop it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that that I take a position on <laughs> publicly. Yep. But we're now in the position where we now have big letters, capital letters, and small letters and periods with like followed by numbers now. <laughs> this is how you know we're getting serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, just, it just struck me the other day. I was like, oh, we're now doing like chemistry numbers on like on like variants well this is interesting this is this is where we're at yep okay so now we can now we've opened up an entire new level of the alphabet to be able to categorize whatever's going to happen for as i said before my official position the next decade <laughs> i'm i'm hoping it's not a decade but i, I certainly share your um uh, your belief that it's not going away anytime soon well just realistically i mean again looking at the history of pandemics in general it mm-hmm. takes 10 to 20 years to get it just takes humanity that just it just does and again just like we want our human behavior to change at the speed of a tweet we want covid to be done at the speed of a tweet yep. and covid doesn't care about twitter <laughs> it actually doesn't get we finally ran across something that doesn't care about whatever elon musk is doing over there on that platform right. it yep. doesn't matter yep so no i i think you've i think you've stumbled on a couple of things here that i want to explore and the biggest one is so our population, I've been looking at this geopolitically for the last uh, six months or so. So in other countries, due to their child replacement policies, demographic cliffs, other countries are hitting demographic cliffs. Uh, Russia, China, um, Argentina, I'll throw in a few in there that we don't normally think of, L- Libya, um, you know, um, uh, Japan, but Japan for a long time. But anyway, hitting demographic cliffs. And what that means is, the number of people that are having children that have enough to replace them is basically going upside down. So you have yep. more old people than you have young people. And in most countries in the world, I, I'm going to make a visual here for those of you who are listening. It looks like an upside down funnel mm-hmm. where the big part is at the top. That's the baby boomer generation. And then it narrows down, narrows down, narrows down to literally nothing. And you can track this because of geo. You can track this as a parallel to. Uh, this demographic challenge as a parallel to the geopolitics of globalization over the course of the last 80 years since the end of World War II. Okay. In America, however, we kind of go top of the funnel. Then we have a we have a narrow in the middle one. That's the baby. That's the baby boomers to the to the the Gen Xers. That's narrow in the middle. And then we have a bulge. And then we go back down again. Right. So we're actually a little bit better historically speaking on the demographic cliff, although. Um, in the first analysis of demography after COVID, it, the, the data showed your data guy, the data showed that America has fallen below replacement rate. Historically speaking, countries never come back once they fall below that. They just never do. It's a continual Mm -hmm. decline. Okay. That's one data point. Second data point in my question or in my thought, second data point, we are already beginning in the process and we're at the beginning of it, not in the middle of it, of algorithming and AIing away the left brain stuff, the skill set stuff that human beings used to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Eventually, there will be an AI assistant for a plumber. It will happen for sure. That's on the horizon. Mm-hmm. No way around that. What that means is that bulge in the middle of people, even if they have a bunch of kids at the bottom, which they very well might, actually. The data is still out on that. But 
technology. There's a bulge in the bottom. Yeah, right. Exactly. Who's going to do those jobs, right? And let's say, and let's say, or let's say it doesn't have a bulge. Let's just say it does. Like in France, it just narrows and narrows and narrows and narrows and narrows until you're in a demographic nightmare. Right. You need more people. You need more automation. Not people. You need more automation and more robotics to do the jobs of the future that people used to do. That's data point number two. So now you've got demography, and you've got technology meeting together to solve a problem of people. What that means is in organizations, your teams go from being gigantic whales, but don't get me wrong, those will still be around, but they go from being gigantic whales to being small shops. And I started tracking this, gosh, probably about five or six years ago when I realized, oh my God, four people in a room can make $100 million. That's insane. That would have never happened in the Industrial Revolution. And I, by the way, I'm not exaggerating you can get four people together that can create a software or hardware solution to a problem and can make a hundred million dollars. That's not a joke. That's a small that. And by the way, that used to be a mid-sized business. Yep. Four people. That's insane. Four yep. people plus automation with processes. What that means fundamentally, and this is where my brain went, and this is where Ripple I think kicks in. Where that where that went was okay. So. All the stuff that the Industrial Revolution people said on Mad Men about, I don't really think about you, get away from me, I can replace you tomorrow, yep. all of a sudden goes out the window because the teams are smaller, which means we have to do more work that matters. And the work that matters is not left brain work. It's emotional work, which gets me to my question. Quite the buildup. Oh, quite the build up. Well, I had to give you all the data points because <laughs> I'm a contact. I'm a contact context guy. There you go. <laughs> I had to. I had to give you the context. And you can handle it. You're a lawyer. You use yeah. your context. You're you consuming like a thousand page briefs. It's fine. <laughs> Keeping track of all the data points. Um, D and I, uh, we don't do D and I work fundamentally. And there's a reason that my firm doesn't do D and I work. And it's because, um, if you can't even have a conflict about toner, how are we gonna have a conflict about identity? How are you gonna pull that apart? If you're so dysfunctional, you have people breaking down about paperclip color. And by the way, that's not an exaggeration. I've worked with organizations where people broke down about paper paper the color of the paper clips on the paper. Wow. They brought me in to solve that problem. Wow. And you wanna talk about people's identities? Gender, race, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, microaggressions, all these terms. I won't we won't touch DNI work. Well, I'll give you one better. I mean, you know, the, the whole concept of DEI yeah. is obviously a fantastic thing because yeah. you want the office, you want any environment to be absolutely and fair, sure. right? I mean, yeah. if anyone disagrees with that, they should turn the podcast off right now. But I don't think anybody's gonna disagree. Most with that. intelligent um, leaders would say absolutely get it. But how do you institute something like that? I think to your point, yeah. where if you won't answer a question, like the the example I gave you for the the thirty two percent participation with Ripple, mm -hmm. you won't answer a question. Noah thinks before the think thinks of consequences before making key decisions. Right, that's a Ripple question. Mm -hmm. So if you won't answer that question in the survey, I mean, what are what are the chances you're you're answering the DEI questions or you know going through these workshops? in an honest, genuine, transparent way. I, oh, you're I, not. I think it's very difficult. And we actually did an exercise. Um, uh, we were working with a consultant out of DC and he's, he's fantastic, ex-military guy. Mm -hmm. And he actually went through, Ripple has 138 questions. Mm -hmm. And because he thinks the DEI space 
needs help in terms of just automating getting information. Now, whether that information is going to be genuine or not is my biggest concern because right. <clears throat> getting getting data that's not genuine or honest is 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 not helping anybody. But Dirty 111, data. <laughs> yeah, 111 of our 138 questions, he believed, fell into one of the buckets of DEI. So he's like, you know, you can offer it. It's just the organization. You, you can tell organizations that um, engage in compliance-related exercises versus mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, organizations that understand the importance value of certain exercises. And that's who I'm looking to work with, those companies that get, it's not just, you know, sending surveys every month, it's getting the data, crunching the data, looking at your dashboard, seeing that there are communication events when, 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 um, when numbers go up or go down and having those communication events, because if you just use ripple at your annual review and show the dashboard and say, you know, 12 months of data shows X, you're not using Ripple. You're not using yeah, any data for that matter. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's interesting. We 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 haven't touched DEI, but but it did come up about two weeks ago when this when this gentleman was like, well, what about this kind of thing? And and I, I do share your concerns. I, I just I think it's great. I think it's on obviously a fantastic goal. Um, I think achieving it is is a, is is difficult. Well, and I think going to that point about small teams doing more work that matters. I don't think that you need DEI work if you're a team of, let's say, four to ten folks. I don't think you need it. I just think you need to sit down and have conversations and build relationships with people. Just right. go out and have a cup of coffee. Like, that's your DEI work. Learn, um, learn your colleagues. Learn about your colleagues a little bit. Yeah, learn about your colleagues. Read a book that's <laughs> that's challenging. Have a conversation. Start a book club. You know, whatever. Like, do that. Don't pay me. Honestly, don't pay me. Don't even don't even email me. You know, <laughs> don't email my company. I'll turn you down. Go 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 buy a book. Right. That's an easier solution to solve. That's an easier problem to solve at that level. Yep. Now, if you're above ten, like if you're ten to infinity, and you're looking around, going, "Hey, it's all like." Bay Area white guys here that all think alike. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you might want to ask some questions about not about DEI, but about when was the last time we had somebody in here that like actually looked at the world differently than we do? Shook up. Who's in stuff. our right? Who's in our bubble? Who's in our who's in our our silo that we never ever talk to outside of this silo? And I think organizations fall into um they fall into that trap of. I worked here for 30 years. You're talking about people who worked here for 30 years. I worked here for 30 years. I worked here for five years. I worked here for 10 years. And I don't talk to anybody outside of this bubble. Like, that's my problem with Google. Like, yep. you know, no, nobody in Google talks to anybody outside of Google. Dear God, there's Google. I know it's a cool internet. It'd be a shame if anything happened to my end of it. Google, I know you're listening. Fine, you're cool. But there's an entire world that existed before you even showed up. I remember I was there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, I I get it. And there are things that happened in that world. And there are things that are happening now that are that are going to directly impact the people inside of Google. And if you're not engaging with that world beyond just, you know, we're collecting data on it and surveilling people um, and creating creating ads. If you don't go past that, how are you going to ask me to do to do work around identity? And then the other dynamic with this is. If you're on a group of people that's 10 and under, if you're in an organization with fewer than 10 people, Mm -hmm. you can actually have the meaningful, heart-wrenching conversations about identity. You can actually ask somebody a real question. For instance, 
when I'm on small teams, not when I'm on small teams, but when I was on small teams in the past, and it's all white guys in Hayson. Eventually, some white guy's going to get brave and be like, so, hey, what do you think about this thing that happened in the news? And they're going to ask it just like that. Yep. And then guess what? I get to have a conversation. Yep. Because there's a relationship there. And I think we're underestimating that in the DEI work. I think we are. Um, yes, much of it is bureaucratic and corporately focused. And by corporately, I mean beasts of organizations, 30,000 people and above, 10,000 people and above. At that level, you're running a nation state. And it's really hard to get something right. So really what you're doing is you're checking a box. You're putting out a marketing thing. You're changing your profile on LinkedIn and on Facebook. Yep. You're creating some marketing content yep. as far as ads. Yep. And maybe you shift your recruiting around, maybe. But you brought in a big name DEI person. And so congratulations, you did all the social signaling. And you can go back to doing the work that you're going to be doing. Um, that doesn't change anything. If you really want to change something across your enterprise, you need folks like Ripple. You just do. You need folks like Ripple to actually shift, to actually ripple that change out across your enterprise. Yeah, I mean that's 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 our scoring system. It's the ripple effect score of your you know net impact on the yep. people you work with, and it's important because some people, uh, you know, especially leaders, think that their managers are are doing a great job. Some 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 leaders think their co executives are doing great jobs, and and what happens is over time you confirm that or you deny it, and you take steps to get to a better point or mm -hmm. to at least recognize that you have blind spots and, and shortcomings that that you at least need to try to address. Because yeah. then, you know, if you, if you don't do anything and you ostrich it, right, and you just right. hope that the day passes and the week passes and the month passes without anything going on um, negatively, then chances are there's going to be a, a catastrophic event that causes significant damage to your workforce. And that's that's not good because right. at, at, the end, at the end of the day, I think most owners of companies want their employees to want to work for that organization, mm -hmm. not just the old mentality of I sign your check, put your head down and work. That right. that I think we've gotten a lot further down the road than that philosophy of, of ownership. But there's a lot there's a lot more to do. And and mm -hmm. when you harness technology, which is what we do at Ripple, and we empower managers, owners, leaders to make more objective, data driven decisions, it's a little tough at first. But over time, the organizational philosophy of how we interact, how we give feedback, it's easier and easier because you're, you know, you're just, you're just doing it. You're not, you're not hesitating, you know, and, and we've, we've had organizations for a few years that have used Ripple and their participation levels are they get the link, they fill them out, they're done. Yeah. Whereas we have new users and it's like, they get the link, they get an email reminder that their surveys are still open. They get another email reminder that their surveys are open. And then I get complaints saying, you know, the people don't like their um, the email reminders. And I was like, well, there's an easy way of not getting email reminders that you have open surveys. Complete the survey. <laughs> Complete the survey. Yeah, they're five question <laughs> surveys. It takes you two minutes tops to do five or six of them. So I think, I think organizational growth and health um, will inevitably um, dictate how future leaders, current leaders um, appreciate data and the, and the, and the importance of implementing change, disruption, pivoting, sure. uh, whatever, whatever word you want to use around data versus gut reactions. Yep. Yep. Um, well, your gut, your gut can't scale. So your, your exactly. gut doesn't scale. It just doesn't. A um, couple other thoughts before we close out here. Um, that I want to hit you with. Uh, in talking about data, you mentioned, I want to go back to this, you mentioned uh, big five factors 
So uh, the big five. Most people yep. don't know what the big five are. Yep. Um, we do a lot of stuff with the big five. Um, we're actually internally uh, developing a leadership assessment right now, potentially going in the direction of maybe pushing that towards where you all are at um, with dashboards and things like that. But right now we're just we're pulling it together research uh, because a lot of leadership development is not research driven. It's driven off of intuition and old wives tales and trait theories that how don't they do match it at Wharton. Yeah. Well, and trait theories that don't match to real life, which yes. is why when we published uh, or when I published um, my third book, 12 Rules for Leaders, I was like, this is not a theory. These are actually things that we've done. <laughs> I was very clear on saying true. that. Tried and true. Yep. Uh, 15,000 managers and supervisors uh, across multiple organizations. This is what we know works. If you want to slap a theory name on it, you can call it intentional leadership, but that's not that's not a model that we're <laughs> that we're pushing. Yep. Uh, we're just saying you want to apply this intentionally and effectively and, and, and practically right to your problems. Okay. Um, in looking at the big five factors, one, what are the big five and two, um, what does it mean to be high or low um, in them? Uh, mm -hmm. And why is that important for engagement? Okay, so OCEAN is the yep. acronym for the, for the big five. We have taken some of the more clinical components. So OCEAN, O is openness. We have curiosity that matches up with openness. Um, C is conscientious in OCEAN. Uh, we, we, say, we, we kept conscientiousness. Committed, are committed is extroversion on the big five scale. Um, cooperation is agreeableness, which is very closely tied. And then consistency is neuroticism. And, and consistency is the opposite of being neurotic, right? So, so that's, that's what they are. Why are they important? Because all humans exhibit these personality traits. They're, they're, they're granted, a lot of the basis and foundation for them are learned by eight, nine, 10 years old. Mm -hmm. But if you can appreciate that one of your coworkers as a manager is not naturally conscientious and what Ripple does, I'll tell you in, in two seconds, then get him or her out of jobs at stress conscientiousness. So what we, so Ripple is all a, a system of surveys from your colleagues that give you feedback throughout the year. You also complete a self-survey at the beginning of the year and your scoring of the same questions that your colleagues are asked are then married up to the colleague information and let's say you're, you give yourself a 4.1 in curiosity and your colleagues give you a 4.0. That means you're self-aware when it comes to curiosity. You're not a five out of five, but you're, you know who you are. You're naturally pretty uh, curious. If you give yourself a 4.6 in cooperation because you're a manager and you think that that's what you need to give yourself and your direct reports give you a 2.8, that's a totally different exercise. Yeah. And so then you take that information. Why is self-awareness important? Self-aware people are happier. They're more productive. They're better um, resources on a colleague-to-colleague -colleague, um, relationship uh, basis. And they stick around. So if you have self-aware people, they're not faking it. They're not some monster in meetings, but they're actually a teddy bear when, when you go into his or her office after the meetings. If you have someone that thinks they have to play the tough leader instead of the effective leader, that kind of stuff, um, you have organizational malfunctioning um, leadership. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can show the self-awareness and the fact that people are generally, and, and again, it doesn't have to be five out of five for each of those personality traits. Just right. it, it gives managers the ability to say, okay, so if Noah's not naturally cooperative, why am I putting him as a manager of 
this project for, for a client I know is very difficult. Yeah. Because you're putting no one in a position to fail. So the importance of the big five, they were first identified back in the 50s by the military, um, is that we all exhibit them. And what you really should be is your closest, truest self 24-7. So you shouldn't be this tyrant that comes in Monday morning and screams at his or her direct reports, but then at a barbecue on a Saturday, you're totally social, nice, warm, you know, congenial, and you, you, you should be whoever you are because quite frankly, at that barbecue, you might be faking it. And maybe you're just an angry person that, that clouds his or her existence on the weekends. Meanwhile, you're just a tough, arrogant person. Own it. Especially, I mean, I'm 50 years old. If I'm not naturally conscientious by 50, I, chances are, I mean, I can, I can learn the importance yeah. of being a little bit more conscientious or, you know, um, what that kind of impact has on my team. But I've learned these, I mean, I've been who I am in large degree personality-wise since I was eight, nine, 10. Yeah. Thanks to my parents, my friends at the time, my teachers, my family, yeah. you know, all those things. So it's okay not to be a five out of five. I mean, one of the key um, tenements for, for Ripple is the fact that everyone doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. You don't, you know, everyone isn't going to be a five out of five self-aware on all five personality traits. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are going to surprise you and you're going to be like, okay, well then why the heck have I been putting that person in this role over the last couple of years? Of course he or she's miserable. That's not playing to his or her strong suits. And then just one more um, plug, Ripple, you talked about KPIs earlier. Yeah. We can customize uh, the platform to gather data along any KPIs, OKRs, however other three initial goals you want to uh, to talk about, um, so we can cust we can customize that, and then you have a, dish a dashboard for those KPIs, and then you also have the Ripple, um, the Big Five uh, personality analysis. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I'm seeing a lot of the big a lot of Big Five stuff coming well, more and more, more, yeah, which more I think is an overall good. Yeah. Um, one well, it's validating to me. I mean, we started it. We we, oh, yeah. we we identified it in 2014 in terms of the importance of driving engagement around around those big five. Yep. So you know, as much as I don't necessarily like other people doing what I'm doing, it, it definitely validates what what we what we have been doing. Well, and I will say this. I mean, look, there's a lot of assessments on the market. Uh, the top five ones, uh, particularly in the personality area, are you know. Um, uh, Gallup Strengths Finder or Strengths Quest, depending upon which one you want, yep. which term you want to use. Um, DISC is still the big boy. Yep. Um, Myers Briggs and BTI, which has some shady science behind it. Yep. Uh, and I use the term science in air quotes. Yep. <laughs> and I said that, not Noah. Yep. Uh, you know, some shady things there. Um, Hogan's assessment, which I don't really find necessarily always to be valuable. Um, and then one more, which we actually do use, um, the True Colors Inventory which does have multiple elements of um, of the, the Big Five in it um, and aligns very closely with the Big Five, but then wanders off into some other things. Now, increasingly, I'm seeing people, organizations, use, <laughs> using the Enneagram. I'm seeing that pop up more. Uh, I will... I will hold my powder on that one, keep mm -hmm. my powder dry on that one. Um, but, um, but these these assessments sort of circle around and circle around and then one will pop up in an organization. Uh, for instance, uh, for a lot of years when we worked with manufacturers uh, when we were in the Northeast, when we were, when we were lo located in the Northeast, a lot of them loved MBTI mm -hmm. and Myers-Briggs. And yeah. we kind of had to wean them off of that. We were like, yeah, you know, I mean, Myers-Briggs is not a horrible, uh, it is actually, but it's not, in theory, it's not a horrible um, process. 
The problem with yeah. a lot of those assessment tools is they're static events, they're one-offs. Before we give, before we give uh, an, an offer letter, we want to make sure you're not a serial killer. Well, they're not based to, off anything that's solid. They're not based off of especially if you know you're taking it and what you right. want the employer to see. I mean, right. I mean, yeah, it, it, you know, it, you, and if you've taken it more than once, because I've right. had taken a couple over the years. And if you know what's <laughs> what they're looking for when hiring an attorney, guess what? You don't give them anything that they're not looking for. They're not looking for. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're kind of gameable um, and gamification when it comes to survey data analytics is Keep, that's what keeps us all up at night. You know, can oh, someone yeah. can someone game this system to artificially inflate or deflate um, what this person should be getting from a data perspective? Yep, yep. Um, the other thing that I would say about self awareness is um, the number one way to grow in self awareness if you are, you know, a person who actually wants to, you know, maybe maybe you don't like being perceived as a tough, arrogant mofo, even though that actually is who you are. Yep. Maybe you actually want to change reflection journaling and coaching i mean these are the only three things that work um and journaling is the biggest one and that's where i really like the work that um is being done by um, several research scientists out of the university of toronto um, around self-authoring so this idea of literally writing down where you want to go and what you want to do and literally you know uh, organizing your past organizing your present and then organizing your future um, and really driving that organization after you've gotten the assessment. So the order is, you know, you do the assessment, you sit with someone who can help you figure out what that data is. It has to be a one-on-one -on -one human being. It can't be, can't be a machine. Yep. Um, and then you go get a coach or that person can also coach you, but it's probably preferable if those two are separate. Um, you know, you get a coach, that coach works with you through whatever your top five things are that you want to get better at. Um, as a leader, um, and, the, and not manager and supervisor, as a leader. Because if you're a manager, you're, here's here's a tip for you. If you're a manager, you're a leader. Congratulations. And if you you're a supervisor, be. you're a leader. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You should, be. You, yeah. you should be. No, actually, not even should be. You are. <laughs> I'll go forward. Oh, right. to, you're either you a are. good leader because you recognize that you're a leader. You're not so great. If you oh, you're not so great. You're a mediocre leader, which is even worse than a bad leader. Yep. Mediocre leaders are worse than bad leaders mm -hmm. um, and actually more toxic uh, to the organization and the, the health of the organizational body overall. But, um, but yeah, you do the assessment. You you figure out what the what the means of the what the under what the actual assessment is telling you about what you need to change and shift. Uh, sit with the coach and do that, and then in the back end, actually do the authoring piece. Reflect on your experience, and it's weird because what writing does as a fundamental tool for human beings at a psychological level is it actually opens up different levels in your head um, and opens you up to new knowledge. There's some there's some interesting research in the neurochemical not neurochemical the neuroscience literature about the impact of the actual act of physically writing hmm. and what that actually does in your brain with dopamine and epinephrine and other other neurochemicals that actually open up your neocortex and engage your prefrontal cortex in different kinds of ways, which allows for um, emotional and psychological growth over the long course of time. Um, we're actually, it, interestingly enough, we're looking at some of that data because for leaders, I can't think of a better thing to do than, than reading and writing. Like yeah. I don't understand why you wouldn't read and write if you're a leader. Um, anyway, so last question, um, and I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you for your time. It's been fabulous. Um, we will have links to <laughs> Ripple's website. We will have links to where you can find Noah. Uh, you'll be able to bother him all below the player <laughs> in yep. the um, in the show notes, um, both here and on um, and on YouTube. Um, final thought or final question? Organization. And I've been holding off on this one for a little while. 
organizational culture. You said organizational health. Where does organizational culture fit in and how can Ripple help us get to establishing, and I think you probably already given the answer, but I want you to kind of solidify and land on it for us here at the close. Solidify, how, how can it help us solidify where culture exists? Because sometimes you get executives, I get this all the time, uh, I'll say, well, what's your culture? And they're like, I don't know what that word means. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, here's my here's my definition. It's everything you do that's outside of the hard skill stuff. You know, how you walk into your office on a Monday. That's culture. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't pay attention to that because that, that, it doesn't match with the P&L. I, yep. I, don't, I, I can't track that, so I don't know. Like, well, but like that's impacting your people. So what's your definition of organizational culture and how does Ripple – uh, push folks, uh, push organizations to uh, to develop better ones. So organizational culture can be defined a hundred different ways, right? Yeah. And, and, and people have to find it a hundred different ways. What I can tell you what organizational culture is not, it's beanbag chairs, foosball tables, and free coffee, mm-hmm. right? Now that those may all be side effects of strong organizational culture, but people don't stay employed at jobs where they get free coffee. They need to want to go to work. I define organizational culture is how many of my employees want their coworkers to succeed. And I think it's an easy, it's a, it's an easy way of, of, of organizing a lot of different things that fall into culture. I think if everybody in an organization wants their colleagues to succeed, that naturally the end result is success. And, and I think if you have strong, confident, um, forward-thinking, dynamic, so a couple other, you know, emotionally intelligent leaders mm-hmm. that foster that kind of awareness and and really celebrate success just as much as they try to fix failure. Then cultural nat- culture, strong culture, naturally evolves. We were we were um, short little story, and then we maybe we can uh, wrap this up. Uh, we mm-hmm. were pitching to a big cosmetic company. And they bought Bain in to do a, a consulting gig to find out how strong their uh, organizational culture was. And essentially, seven million dollars later, uh, they had asked seventy thousand of their employees, huge cosmetics company, mm-hmm. um, the following question: Would you refer a friend or family member come work at this company? And so the executives, managers, leaders—they all thought it was going to be in the eighty-two percent range. It was twenty-three percent. So twenty-three percent from the employees, and it was anonymous. So Bain actually thinks the number was actually about maybe 19% because some of the people that said no didn't know if their name was attached to it, so they said yes. Yeah. Um, that culture is horrible, right? That's that's not good. But what did the company do with it? They buried it. They didn't say, listen, people, we know 23% of you, only 23%. Three quarters of you would not refer a friend or family member come work here. What's going on? How do, we, how do we do that? So you can't have strong culture without communication. You can't have strong culture without engagement. And one of the points you initially raised, you can't have strong culture if you don't do something with data, with, with information that is thrown at you, given to you with the expectation that you're gonna do something with it. Because then people don't, there's no buy-in. If leadership is not buying into their own processes and, and, and goals, you can't expect to have strong culture. Um, yeah, if you're so, not eating your own dog food, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts, anything we can do for you out here, final calls to action, anything we can do out here for you, yeah. um, to spread the word about ripple, about Noah, um, even about, uh, the work that you're doing, um, with organizations and with cultures out here. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what the goal of ripple always has been 
is to make workplaces uh, better places to work. You know, maybe you're not hopping and skipping to work in the morning, but you're not dreading it. And there's a lot of in between there. So when when I'm asked what kind of calls to action, evaluate your own process for assessing, developing, and managing your people. You know, organizational change is necessary for for proper healthy growth. So if you have a process that you don't think works, and you just keep doing it because you've always done it, change or as the CEO and president of Accenture did back in 2016, he said, if no one can tell me why we're doing the annual review, there's no ROI, there's no, there's no net positive value to doing this, we're not doing it. And then when someone suggests in 2018, 2020, there's something that is effective and there's a reason to spend thousands of man hours on this process, then I'll consider it. But when he asked, why are we doing this? And no one in HR could give him a definitive answer other than we've always done it this way. I mean, that's, that's a problem. So what I, what I always ask is any listeners who, um, who can, first of all, can you tell me what your formal process is? A lot of companies with 50 employees and under it's the wild west. Oh, it's your, on your annual hire date, the anniversary of your hire date, we're going to go through the last 12 months. Great. Mid-December, we're going to go through the last 12 months. Yeah. No one's doing anything in mid-December that, that clogs their memory or time. No. One, one last point on the annual review, and then I'll, I'll give my um, contact information. The human brain only remembers things accurately for six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. So not 12 months, not nope. 11 months, not 10 months, not eight months, not five months, six to eight weeks, two months tops. So if you're doing anything that's based on the last two months, you're artificially giving the person that succeeded over the last two months, and you're artificially deflating the person that maybe succeeded for the first seven, eight, nine months, but the last couple months were a little rough. Yep. Get rid of the annual review. That's yep. the that's that's the call to action. Replace it with Ripple or something else. There's there's plenty of uh, other replacements. Um, you can reach me at Noah at RippleCrew.com. You can check out our new re- revamped website at RippleFeedback.com. And you know, try us out. We, we've got specials for listeners of this podcast. Just reference that you you listen to us today, and and uh, I'll give you a fifty percent discount on the first six months. Um, do something about it. If you don't like a process, and, and this goes for talent assessment, development, and management, it goes, it goes for everything in your organization. If you don't like a process, change it, and, and your people will be happier for it. They'll respect you for it as a leader. So we will have links to uh, the website, and we will have that, um, that offer um, in the show notes as Great. well. That way you can click on that and get that from Noah and Ripple. Awesome. Well, this has been great. This has been a, this has been a good solid conversation. I think we covered a lot here um, over the course of the last hour and fifteen minutes or so. Um, got into a lot of got into a lot of good uh, a lot of good stuff. Look, if you want to develop your leaders, and you know th- this podcast is not necessarily hyper focused on leadership. This podcast is a grab basket of a lot of other different things, or a lot of different things that really interest me and and, and are engaging to me. But one of the most interesting and engaging things for me is leadership. Uh, I do believe fundamentally that the only way we can get out of problems that we are in is through leadership. But if we don't know what we're doing, if we don't have a map, uh, we are blind in the territory. We're groping along and we're going along on intuition. We're making bad decisions. We're falling into switchbacks. We're falling into traps. And eventually, by a miracle, we may get to our goal. We may get mm-hmm. to the where it says on the map. But hope is not a strategy. It might be a place in Arkansas where the former president Bill Clinton is from, <laughs> but it's not a strategy. And by the way, I've been to Hope. 
Uh, anyway, um, a lot of it. <laughs> I love my listeners in Arkansas. I love yeah, all of, of them. <laughs> um, but you know, really, connect with Noah. Connect with Ripple. Um, if you don't, you, you know, you don't want to connect with Noah. You don't want to use Ripple. Use any other analytic service you can. Get some measurements um, around the performance and the engagement of your employees. That way, you actually understand what is happening on the map. Uh, remember, in the land of the blind. At least, at minimum, the one-eyed man is king, or <laughs> woman in this case as well. All right, thanks, Noah, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I had a great time.